Well, let me just say Happy Easter. Today we're going to um, we're going to continue in the book of John, and we're going to look at the resurrection of Lazarus. Jesus raised a man from the dead, a man who was his friend, a man who had a sickness, and that sickness finally took his life, and a man who had two sisters, Martha and Mary. And we're going to look at what it is that Jesus wants to say to us about our resurrection. Because Jesus wants us to receive the resurrection life, but he wants us to receive it in a way that makes sense every day, that is a practical reality, not just something that we kind of hold on to and hope is true, but something that actually lives with us every day as a practical reality. When Jesus was right there at the tomb of Lazarus, he said this, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off the grave clothes and let him go. So this is my observation of my life and the life of the many thousands of people that I've interacted with throughout what is now a long life. I've noticed that people fall into really three categories. There are people who have never received the new life of Jesus. There are people who have received the new life of Jesus. There are two categories. And then there's a third category of people who have received the life of that Jesus gives them, but they're still walking around in their grave clothes. And no one has set them free. And so today, my sense is that God wants to do two things. He wants to give the opportunity to those who've never received the new life of Jesus the opportunity to receive it. And that's something that happens personally between you and the Lord. And then, I think the Lord wants to do something else. I think he wants to help each person that receives, whether they receive today or have received a long time before or like these young people, maybe just a short time previously. What he wants to do is to ensure that every person that receives his new life is set free from the grave clothes that would hold them. So to do this, I'm going to try to paint the picture that surrounds the resurrection of Lazarus. 
And to do that, we're going to just look at a few passages in Scripture together. They'll come up on the screen, so don't feel like you have to be a Bible scholar and follow me around by finding the particular passages in the, in the Bible in front of you. But if you want to do that, then feel free to do that as well. But I'm going to start this morning by looking at the first occasion that we encounter two of the main characters of the story, Martha and Mary. And they first crop up in the Gospels in Luke chapter 10. And it says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. So now we've, we've just got a little bit of a picture of these two characters. There's something quite different about them. Interestingly, the home that Mary and Martha live in is a home that's described as Martha's home. So it may well be that Lazarus was the younger brother of these sisters. Martha was the head of the household, an unusual thing at the time, but was clearly in charge of proceedings and clearly was taking responsibility for all that was going on in the house and clearly felt overwhelmed by it. So now let's look at John chapter 12, the chapter after the one that I referred to at the beginning where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and we'll see something interesting. We're going to look at this in more detail next week in our celebration Sunday when we have both adults and children in the sanctuary together. John chapter 12, back again at Bethany in the home of Martha and Mary. Chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived at Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. There was a dinner given in Jesus' honor. Martha served, while Lazarus was among those reclining at table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume, and poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So we've got more of a picture now. We've got Martha who has a household in Bethany, small village on the way to Jerusalem, today called Lazaria, in honor of Lazarus who was raised there. And you can go to the historical seat, site of the resurrection, 
which is a fascinating place to go. There's Mary there. Mary, who clearly is a different kind of character, has a different personality to Martha. And we have Lazarus, who has been raised from the dead. And I'm sure after that busy time of being resurrected, he needs to recline at table with everybody else. So let's look at what it is that Jesus is saying to Martha and Mary. And to do this, I'm going to ask you to picture Martha and Mary up here with me. And I'm going to give them just something that helps you visualize that. So here's Martha. She's obviously in charge. She looks like she's in charge, doesn't she? But it's a little bit masculine, so I, I think I need a couple of those things there. So, so I think I think we probably ought to. There, that's that's kind of a bit better, isn't it? And then we've got we've got Mary over here. I don't know whether she's the younger of the two, but um, certainly seems quite a colourful character, doesn't she? And then there is the way in which Jesus interacted with these two women. Now these two women, of course, are women, but what they represent are the ways in which human beings function, interact, and live out their lives. If you were a trained psychologist, you might be interested to analyze the behavior of Martha and Mary from the point of view of contemporary psychology. Jung, who is probably by far and away the most influential psychologist of this last hundred years or so, would have perhaps described Martha as a thinker. If you know Myers-Briggs, the, the kind of practical exposition of Jungian thinking, she may well be something like an INTJ, an introvert, intuitive thinker who has a way of dealing with life that's very ordered and very systematic. Mary would be described by Jung and by pretty much every other psychological framework as a feeler. Perhaps she's an ESFP, the exact opposite of her sister. They stand at either end of the personality continuum. And Jesus ministers to both of them perfectly. It doesn't matter what your personality is. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your preferences are in life. Jesus is able to meet you where you are and bring the resurrection to you in a way that will practically transform your life. So let's see how Jesus does that. 
And as we do that, let's think about what it might be for us to be like Jesus, working with people somewhere on the continuum of personality, helping them to be free of their grave clothes. I want to be free of my grave clothes today, don't you? So let's, um, let's just look at what it is that Jesus does in relation to these two amazing women. John chapter 11 and verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even though he dies, even though he dies and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who has come into the world could you hold this for me, Mary? Thanks. So, so what is Jesus doing here with Martha? And how is what he's doing here reinforced a little bit later as they get to the tomb? Now, Martha is almost certainly a thinker. And thinkers, particularly of the type of Martha and I'm not picking on anyone here. I do know that there are at least four INTJ females in the congregation, which if you took that as a proportion of the population, it would be absolutely astonishing because they're very, very rare. But here is Martha, the thinker. And what is she, the thinker, doing with her life? And how is she engaging with life? Well, what she does, you see, is she sees what's happening. And she, she recognizes that certain things are real out there. And she makes the connection in her mind about what it is that's going on out there and comes to an understanding of what life is about and her place within it. And what she does, all the Marthas, in the building, whether you be male or female, is she sees what's there, recognizes the importance of them, and takes responsibility for them immediately. So Jesus is coming to her home. Things need to be prepared. Things need to be got ready. Immediately, Martha takes responsibility. Then she realizes that Jesus has brought a whole team of disciples. Who's going to cook for 20, 30 people? 
she's responsible. And so now she's in the kitchen. She's probably got help in the kitchen. It's a, it's a wealthy home, no doubt. She's got help in the kitchen. But, I mean, Jesus is here. He's the most important person I've ever met. And we've got all of his disciples, and they're kind of important too. And, 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 and. She's responsible. What does she do? What's the mechanism in Martha to help her? Well, you see, people like Martha are very often good leaders because they, if they get themselves in the right frame of mind, they begin to say, okay, well, I'm responsible. Maybe I could get other people to feel responsible too. And maybe they could join me in my responsibility. But if on any occasion you find that you have too many responsibilities and you don't feel as though you have the time, the energy, or the inclination to draw other people into your responsibilities, you become overwhelmed. And at that point, you start to look for someone to blame. Lord, what about Mary? She's mooning around and just having fun. What about her? Now, even if Mary did join Martha in the responsibility, it would still be overwhelming. Because there's so much to do. One person's not going to change that much. But Mary is the solution because Mary's the problem. I've got to find somebody to blame. Lazarus is sick. She's a disciple of Jesus. She's prayed for him. She's probably laid hands on him. She's probably recruited the household to pray for him. Nothing's happened. He's just got worse and worse. She sent word to Jesus. He hasn't turned up. And then he dies. Who's responsible? She's overwhelmed. This is her household. This is her brother. She's clearly an unmarried woman. She's a single woman. She's in charge of a large household. She's got a sister who just goes around collecting daisies and, and she's got a, a brother who's, I mean, he's no good being dead. Who's to blame? Jesus. He's to blame. If you had been here, none of this would have happened. Now, there are lots of thinkers in the room, and lots of you are thinking, okay, how's he, is he, is he reading my diary? What? Because it's shocking how predictable this behavior is. We, we think that we're unique and amazing. You are. But certain behavior is really predictable. And this behavior of becoming overwhelmed by circumstances until you find yourself in a confined space is a very, very common experience for large percentages of the population. And when we find ourselves in that confined space, we feel as though we're trapped and we have nowhere to go. And we look over the parapet of our overwhelmed world 
looking for someone that we can blame for the circumstances that have overwhelmed us. What does Jesus do? And how does Jesus teach us as disciples to help the Marthas of this world live into their resurrection so that they're not in a confined space like a grave, but live in a broad space, a space of freedom, a space of liberty? What would the disciple of Jesus do for Martha? Well, what the disciple of Jesus would do is the same thing that Jesus did. What did he say to Martha? Your brother will rise again. So what is Jesus doing here? He's inviting Martha out of the closed room of her circumstances the closed room of her circumstances means that she's feeling overwhelmed right now and what Jesus does is he says step out of the room Martha I want to show you something that's really important that actually changes your perspective on what it is that you're feeling right now I recognize that you're in grief I recognize that the loss is overwhelming and I recognize that the loss is overwhelming along with all of the other things in your life that are, that are crowding in on you. Step out for a moment. So the thinker immediately is activated and steps out of the room of captivity and says, yes, he, he will rise again, won't he, on the last day. Ah, good. She's taken the bait. Now I can help her, says Jesus. How can Jesus help her? How Jesus helps her is by offering relationship in the midst of the responsibility. Look what he says good theological response Martha your brother will rise on the last day very good I I am the resurrection and the life what you need is my presence right now what you need in the midst of the circumstances that are surrounding you and overwhelming you is my presence because my presence changes death to life changes captivity into freedom changes darkness into light I am the resurrection and the life do you believe this now the thinker is just turning this over and she says Yes, Lord, I believe you are the anointed king of Israel, the Christ. You are the son of God who's come into the world for me. 
You see, what Jesus does is he invites Martha out of the captivity of her circumstances to see a bigger world in which he is Lord. And then says, I'll come back with you. Believing in me means that, means that you and I have a connection that is unbreakable and I'll come back into that room with you and I'll change everything. I wonder how many people find themselves regularly in the place of being overwhelmed by circumstances. You're probably very much like Martha and you've probably felt a little bit uncomfortable when I mentioned the fact that you're looking around for people to blame. Because me, I'm one of those, and you, we do that, don't we? But here's Jesus saying, step outside of the circumstances, recognize that the world is much broader, bigger, and more beautiful than that walled enclosure that you're in. Connect with me and invite me back into those circumstances. So that's, that's the first person. That's Martha getting free of her grave clothes so that the resurrection that Jesus is bringing to her, she actually experiences. Are you ready to hear about Mary? Okay, let's look at Mary then. Verse 28. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up, and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Same words as Martha, different circumstances that they're revealing. Mary doesn't say another thing. The thinker is engaged in a theological conversation that draws her out of her enclosed space. The feeler is different to the thinker. The feeler is flooded with emotions. Just the worst day of her life has taken place. And someone somewhere has opened a fire hydrant in her heart. And every corridor and every room of her life is flooded. She's not like Mary. She's not like Martha who looks at the circumstances, feels the responsibility and feels herself being closed in by them. No, she's not like the thinker. She's the feeler. She's the one who feels the emotion and then can't control it and finds herself completely flooded from the inside to the outside. 
does Jesus do for Mary? Does he offer her some theological insight that will help her? No, what Jesus does is amazing. Verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. There are lots of feelers in the room and you get a thinker talking to you a lot. But Jesus, as a human being, lives the full continuum of human personalities. As the perfect human, he spans everything from the ESFP to the INTJ. He's all of it. And so he's able to step into any circumstance or situation that we present him with. And what Jesus does is he recognizes the emotion and feels it too. Isn't that amazing? What are your big emotions today? Happiness? Kids are back. Grumpy because somebody ate your Easter egg. What are your emotions today? What are you feeling? Maybe, maybe you've heard this implicit message from religious people that feelings are way less important than facts and faith. Maybe, maybe you've heard that feelers are less significant in the kingdom than thinkers. Nobody would ever say that from the platform, but you get that feeling. Do you ever feel as though, you feelers, that your feelings have to be covered up because they're not important? They're not significant. They're not the kind of thing that are that are needed by people. You'll never hear that from Jesus. What Jesus does is he recognizes, hears, sees. It says, when he saw Mary, he sees you. And when he experienced the feelings that she was going through, he felt them too. It's called the incarnation of the Son of God, that God, the creator and master of the universe, steps into human life. What it means is that Jesus embraced all that our humanity is part of and, and reveals and reflects and experiences, and to this day he feels and experiences the same things. Because when Jesus rose again and went back to heaven in the ascension, he took humanity's body with him. He still has scars on his hands. He has a body. And he feels what you feel right now. He honors what you feel right now. He 
recognizes and respects it. Verse 34. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. What is he saying to Mary as he steps into her emotion? What is he saying to Mary as he feels what it is that she feels? He says, I get the feelings. Now step into the world of tangible, measurable reality and tell me, tell me about the world. Talk to me. I get the feeling. I get the emotion. I'm there with you. Now step out of that emotion and show me what it is that I need to do here. Now, perhaps by way of comfort, but I think just by way of authenticity, Jesus invites Mary out of her feelings, out of her emotion, and says, show me where he is, show me where you've laid him in the grave. But even as she does that, Jesus is weeping with her. The shortest verse in the Bible, as Chad so helpfully pointed out on Friday, Jesus wept. Jesus is weeping with Mary all the way to the grave, but he wants her out of that flooded, that flooded place. He wants her to step out of those places where she's completely incapable of anything else and into a world where Jesus might be able to do something. Come with me, says Jesus. Show me what it is that you need me to do. Some of the people that were with Mary said, see how he loved him. But others said, could he not open the eyes? He who opened the eyes of the blind kept this man from dying. Then Jesus says to Mary and to those who've come with him, move the stone. Mary, the feeler, has to do something really tangible. What is it you want me to do, Mary? Show me. Show me, what is it? I, I want you to do this. He's in there. Okay, well, let's get the stone out of the way. Well, Mary's not going to be able to move the stone by. So everybody's there with her, and they're moving the stone. Martha, the thinker, steps in. But Lord, verse 39, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor. Martha is so good at data points. <laughs> Martha is so good at not only gathering data, but reporting it. It's four days. We live in the Middle East. It's going to stink. Jesus knows how to deal with Martha. Did I not tell you that if you believed, 
you would see the glory of God. Did I not tell you that if you believed, I know what's going on out here. I know the practical circumstances. I know your, your sense of what the world is and what it is that you see. And I know how you feel that, you know, we've got to take responsibility for these things, Martha. But what I want you to remember is in the midst of all the data that you gather, there's nothing deeper than faith in me. Believe, Martha. Don't just gather data. Believe. Believe that in the midst of these circumstances that seem overwhelming, I can do something. And of course, what happens is what we've already read. Jesus calls Lazarus out from the grave. And Lazarus comes out. And then by way of illustration of what it is that he's just done for Martha and Mary, he says to the others, take the grave clothes off him. So let's, let's land the plane. Thinkers or feelers today, you're one or the other. There's nobody in the middle. As you get older, the thing that you've done for most of your life Maybe something that you begin to kind of move away from as you explore other things, but, but you're going to be one or the other. So if you're the thinker today, liable to be overwhelmed by your circumstances, what is it that Jesus says? What Jesus says is this. Remember that in every circumstance... I can come in and change it. And I can change it like nobody else. Do you want to change, Martha? Or do you just want to keep on taking on responsibility and looking for someone else to blame? Or do you want the transformation that you long for that I'm the one that can bring, and if you want that transformation, then invite me into the closed room. Where's the closed room in your life? Is it guarded by guilt? Is it locked up by shame? Are there old memories, deep wounds, that are the locked room of your heart? Jesus says today, I am the resurrection and the life. And I can transform that room and I won't be shocked by any of it and I won't shame you for any of it and I won't make you feel bad about any of it. It'll be gone. And if you are the feeler today, liable to be flooded by your emotions, liable to be swept away by the things that you feel, what is it that Jesus says to you today? Jesus says to you, I get you. 
I feel what it is that you feel. I know what it is that you're experiencing. And if you'll let me, I'll lead you to another place, uh, not just in the midst of the emotions, I'll come right into there. But if you'll let me lead you, I'll lead you out of the emotions to a place where there will be resurrection if only you'll tell me what you want. I need you to tell me what you want. And then I can bring transformation. Because you see, the whole enterprise of creation began with a partnership between human beings and God. And God is never ever going to change the way that he thinks about us. He wants partnership, which means that he's always waiting for the invitation. He's never going to do it without that. So what is he saying to you today, Fela? As you feel constantly on the brink of being flooded, what is he saying? He's saying, I'm with you in it. It's not wrong what you feel. It's not, it's not a bad thing what you feel. It's who you are. It's how I made you. And I'm stepping into it and I'm leading you out of it if you'll tell me what you want. There's resurrection and there's life. Isn't Jesus amazing? Does anybody in the room think that he might be Lord and Savior? So, as we come to the close of our time, and Mary gives me back my shirt. Thank you, Mary. I'll leave the flower with you. What are you going to do, the Marys in the room? Are you going to recognize that Jesus is in the midst of those feelings of yours? And are you going to let him lead you to the place where you want transformation? And for the Marthas, in the room, confined by your feelings of responsibility, crowded in by the circumstances that overwhelm you. He's going to say this, I see you, I understand you, and I want to be in the closed room with you because then I can change it. Will you let me in? Feelers, show him what you want. Thinkers, let him in. And he'll bring resurrection and life. Is there an amen in the room? Yeah. Okay. I love Easter. I love the fact that we get to live the resurrected life. And I love the fact that Jesus recruits all of us to take the grave clothes off one another. So let's be aware of doing that this next week, this next month, this next year. Let's be into the business of setting people free. Amen? Amen. Amen.